Welcome, welcome everybody to the Hockey Think Tank podcast brought to you by the HockeyThinkTank.com, a website for all players, parents, and coaches to go to get a little bit of education and a little bit of inspiration regarding the greatest game on the planet. What an episode we have for you guys here today. We bring on Dr. Cassidy Preston, who is a PhD in sports psychology, and he's also a hockey guy. So uh, grew up in North Bay, Ontario, uh, played in the OHL, a little bit of pro, but also played his college hockey at York University and University of Toronto up in Ontario. He now is the founder of Consistent Elite Performance. And uh, wow, what a conversation this was. But before we do get over to Dr. Cassidy Preston, wow, let's bring on another great guy in a one Jehu Jeffrey Lavecchio. Vex, what's going on today, my man? Not much, bro. I'm, I'm buzzing. Like, literally, I was a little tired today. I was up pretty late and then up, uh, uh, last night and up early this morning in the gym with the guys. But man, this podcast, it got me, uh, got my wheels spinning. I'm like super amped i love talking anything we can about like mentally finding ways to get better all the all of the episodes we've had on with mental coaches or or success coaches or whatever we want to call them in the past are the ones that i always tell people to listen to the first time when they're going to listen to our podcast um, because i think they're the most impactful no matter what level you're at or or even if you're not a hockey player you can just use these things in life and sports and uh you know cassidy was unbelievable and literally this is one of my favorite ones we've done in a while so i think people are going to really 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 like this one and apply a lot of things from it yeah, whether you're a player or a coach or in a support group, like uh, as as a parent or or a sibling or whatever, like there's so many different. And, and I think the best part about it is we talked a lot about a lot of like, you know, stuff, but we also talked a lot about strategies of what you can do to better help your mental game, um, and even just like you know, be happier in life. I think a lot of times, like the strategies we can use to be a better athlete are things that we should use in our normal lives too. And so, uh, yeah, just a really, really insightful conversation um, with a lot of things that we can take out of it to, to actually do in our, in our lives. It's awesome. There's, it was there's awesome. No, yeah. There, there's no doubt, man. And I, I was on a pod, guesting on a podcast last night and I think that he was asking me, you know, like, what did you learn in hockey that you use in your life? And I was like, dude, everything <laughs> I was like, and success is a relative term, but I was like, I am successful because of everything I learned in hockey with the mental side of stuff, how to, how to run head first into the hard times, how to re- self reflect every day, how to, you know, build confidence, how to do this, how to do that, how to react with my teammates or with my superiors, or, you know, when I'm a leader, how to, how to help help bring along the guys who aren't doing as well. Everything I've learned from hockey, I use in life, in business, in relationships. And it's completely the reason that I am who I am. And, you know, I'm, you know, relatively successful in my field. And, and so like this, this episode, man, and this is stuff I, these like a bunch of these little things we talk about. I wish I would have known these when I was really younger, a lot younger, because I would have been employing them and using them right when I heard them because they will instantly make anyone better. And I think some of the most, most important things we talked about on this episode were towards the end when we talked about things that I think we all think um, you, myself, and Cassidy uh, coaches can do to be better. Um, like, you know, I just look back on the things and they're still being done. And I talk about on the podcast. I've had guys telling me well, what's going on is the same crap 
that was going on when we were playing juniors. And it just makes no sense. And if coaches start to think about things from this, how, how they, their actions psychologically affect players, they can positively affect that outcome. Even when things are hard for them to do with the players, even when a player is not playing well up to expectations, they're sitting them out, they're healthy, scratching them. You can have a positive impact and a positive effect, not only on that player, not only on his career, on your wins and losses, of the team you're coaching, which if you're a professional coach, juniors and above, you're going to make more money because you're winning more. So like selfishly do it for that reason. Unselfishly do it for the players. Unselfishly do it for the good of the team. Just so many reasons that these coaches can do things in a smarter way by kind of just investing 10 seconds of their day into their players. I mean, I just, I really hope coaches listen to this because that really struck a nerve with me. Couldn't tell. <laughs> it struck a nerve with you when we were speaking with them, and it's certainly bringing this back up right now. You can you can totally tell, but it's so true. I mean, coaches or teachers, like they can have a severe positive or negative effect on kids. I'm reading this book. I've, I've I think I've talked about this book on the last like two or three podcasts, but it's called "Can't Hurt Me" by David Goggins, and he literally talks about like he really struggled in school when he was younger, and he had one teacher. He went to like a private Catholic school. Um, and he had one teacher, like he wasn't the smartest person in the class and really struggled with stuff that actually took the time to work with him. And they developed a great rapport and great relationship. And he was, you know, kind of catching up to the other people that were in his class. And then the next year he had a teacher that treated him like he was nothing. Like, are you just not smart enough to keep up? So like, you should be, you should be able to keep up. Like what's wrong with you. And just like, he, he looks at those two different teachers that he had, and we can all probably go back in, in our careers and think about we probably all had both of those. <laughs> the one that took the time to be supportive and to help you through the tough times and the ones that just said, you know, tough crap, you know, it's uh, get through it. And which is professional sports <laughs> for the most part. Um, so yeah, it's just, there's, this was such a good conversation to be able to have those honest conversations about it's hard to be a coach. It's hard to be a player. What can we do to be the best versions of ourselves as a coach and as a player and, and help others as, as we go along with it. Yeah, and we talked a lot about not only in the beginning of the episode was more of how to get the most out of yourself, mostly probably for players, but even for coaches. And then I feel like the second half, we kind of shifted, how do you get more out of others? And, uh, you know, I think that sometimes coaches, maybe the older school coaches look at like some of this psychology stuff and just think it's like soft and it's like, dude, like if you want to think like selfishly getting more out of your, first of all, getting more out of your players is your job. That is coaching. Your job is to get more out of your players. And, and if you you look at your job as winning, getting more out of your players will get more wins for you. That, that, that's a fact. There's no doubt about it. Getting more out of your players, letting them know how much you care about them will have them buy into whatever systems you're doing. Again, going, that will get you more wins, which will get you more money. So it's just like, it's a better way of doing it. It's caring about people more. Um, it's, it's a positive way to do it when you don't have to be negative. Like you're just going to get more out of people. And I look back to my experiences and, you know, I just think it was done the wrong way. And it's that, that was that coach's choice, but um, that's why I'm so passionate about this stuff now and why I love helping people. Cause I feel like, you know, it, it, it kind of worked for me, but I always go back and think, man, if I would have been handled a different way, like what would I have been like in juniors and stuff like that? Like, you know, I just think that there's a better way to do it and a more personable way and, and a more real way. And, um, 
you know, I, I, obviously I'm passionate about this stuff. And uh, I really hope that coaches listen to this podcast and especially the second half, because you will get more out of your players. I promise you this. I've seen it time and time again in my own business and had a, a, and it's insane amount of success with everyone I work with coming from a different angle than what was done to kind of you and I. Yeah. And I feel like there's some people that probably can take what you say and, and kind of think like, oh, that's kind of soft, you know, like that's, Tell that's kind face. of, a, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, but at the same time, like it's, it's, it's absolutely not by you investing time into building relationships with kids or employees or whatever, by, by investing into that, you'll be able to be harder on them. Exactly. And you'll be able to get more out of them, right? So, like, if you just start with the mind games and and the yelling and beating people down, like, you can't you can't do that. Like, you just can't. Like, and I love how people are like oh, back in the day we used to be able. No, like that's why so many athletes have freaking mental problems today. Exactly. <laughs> you know? Exactly. And exactly. Uh, and and that's why John Wooden and Phil Jackson are two of the most like um, decorated coaches of all time is because they were coaching how coaches are supposed to coach. They cared about their, their players. They invested time into getting to know them. And because of that, the players trusted them more so that when they did need to lay the smack down and, and lay the hammer, like they could. And then the, the players would respond to them because they know it was coming from a place of care. So like the people who listen to what Jeff just said and be like, oh, that's kind of soft, you know, or whatever. Like, no, it's, it's actually not like it, it allows you, you to be hard talking about if you think that way. Like, honestly, it means it means you don't know what you're talking about and you don't know <laughs> how to be a leader. No, honestly, like and go think about like parenting. Think about when you would get in trouble as, as a teenager or whatever. And what is Never the worst possible? Yeah, you didn't. But I mean, I, I, <laughs> oh, I, I did trust <laughs> oh, Maybe not as much yeah. as you, but <laughs> yeah. I mean, I wasn't a bad kid either. But like, you know, the worst thing that hurt me the most was my mom saying I'm disappointed in you. But it was because I knew how much she cared about me. So it's the same thing as as a coach who's invested in you. Instead of beating you down, you know, then then a coach that and it doesn't mean you're lying to them. You're not just filling them with fake stuff. You're telling them the truth, you know. And you guys will all understand what we're talking about when you listen to the second half of the podcast. But it's not being soft. It's just finding a better way to get more out of your players, and that's the goal. Whether it's more wins, more money you want to make, or you you truly just care about making the players better there is a better way to do it to get more out of them and th there's no doubt in my mind that there's that this is the way to go about it a hundred percent and speaking of i do want to get over to this i don't want to do too much in this intro but one thing we have to mention before we we do get over to is usa usa go john <laughs> <laughs> unreal unreal uh congratulations to to team usa for winning world juniors um jet vex I, I don't know if you got the chance to watch the gold medal game i would imagine you probably did not <laughs> i got six minutes in i was in the gym at night when it was on and i watched it for six minutes while i was lifting oh man what it, it was one of the best hockey games i've seen in a long time i mean you're talking about obviously the best you know, the best players in the world at, at that age, but both teams just played hard and you, you had to earn every inch of ice. And, and like, it was a two nothing game with the, that skilled of players. And it was uh, just a competitive fast. I mean, it's the way that hockey should be played. And so um, congratulations to Canada. Um, it's winning a silver medal that there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, they, they had an incredible tournament, but the U S you know, they found uh, a mojo and they found a swagger and, and they found a togetherness and a unity in that in the whole tournament, but especially in that game against uh, against Canada. And I just think that, 
the players did amazing. I mean, Trevor Zegras, I mean, breaking the records that he did. Uh, Turcott, uh, Alex Turcott, who actually comes from the same hometown as, as, as I do, um, all the way on through. Um, and then you look at the goalie, Spencer Knight, and how well he played, especially in some of those times when Canada was, was ramping it up there. Um, but the coaching staff, I, I do want to say a note about the coaching staff because I think the job that they did in this tournament is absolutely incredible. Um, number one, I mean, the first game kind of getting punched in the mouth against Russia. It didn't go as well as they would have planned, uh, but they got the team back together and you could totally sense a unity within that group uh, to, to play for one another and to sacrifice for each other. And, and uh, you know, Nate Lehman, the head coach, I'd be hard pressed to, to, I know he's interviewed for, for head coaching jobs in the NHL, obviously hasn't gotten them yet, but I have to imagine that winning world juniors with uh, coaching the best players in the world. It has to get him in more conversations about getting head coaching jobs in the NHL, which is becoming more, um, you know, more, there, there's more of them coming from college now, not just from, from junior hockey and in, in the CHL. So uh, great job by them. Steve Miller, he's been on so many different world junior staffs for the USA. Uh, he's, he's incredible. He's one of the best coaches out there. Uh, he's just does such an amazing job. Chris Mayo, Ted Donato Mayo. We obviously had on the podcast a couple of weeks ago and then Teresa Feaster, breaking the glass ceiling as, as the first female coach at a world junior for team USA. And now the first gold medal winning coach as a female uh, for team USA. And just the job that, that all of them did uh, got to throw my hat to tip my hat to them because um, just fantastic. And, and as an American, as an American that loves hockey, as an American that loves world juniors, very, very, very cool to, to watch that gold medal game and to see them get the job done for especially that 2001 age group that has probably been the best age group since they started the NTDP however many years ago. And they, they got to finish the job as a group um, and uh, nothing better than that. A lot of kids are going to be heading to NHL camps now and, and just so, so cool. Yeah. I mean, un unbelievable. And, you know, like I said, I only got to watch like maybe six or eight minutes, but my God, the six or eight minutes I watched, they literally, I, I don't think Canada had a shot and us had the puck the entire time. Like it, it, it was unbelievable. It was the second period. Um, I think they just scored their second goal USA maybe. And uh, it, it fun to watch, man. And, it was, you know, it I, was, I, the game was incredible. Like it was unreal. It was just so fast, so competitive, just pure hockey, man. Just everybody laying it out on the line and giving it their all uh, in, in a tough situation, you know, being in the bubble and, and all the stuff with the quarantines and not being able to play a ton of games this year. I think only a, a handful of players on both Canada and us had played games before going to the tournament. So just uh, awesome, awesome job by everybody involved. Congratulations to Nate and, and killer and Teddy and, and, Mayo and, and Teresa for the job that they did coaching. Uh, just so, so cool. So congrats to all of them. We actually had Teresa on our podcast uh, much, much longer ago, but that was a great one too. So congrats to all of them. Um, shall we head over, do our, do our other stuff and then head over? Hype. <laughs> um, so we want to thank all of our sponsors. Our title sponsor is gelsticks, G E L S T X.com. Head on over there. Use the coupon code think tank one word to get a discount on some awesome weighted training sticks. Uh, want to thank train heroic Jeff's app. 
and he is just absolutely killing it. Go to Train Heroic and find Jeff's uh, Jeff's workouts on there. Um, we want to thank IceHockeySystems.com, who is our drill sponsor and the drill that we want to talk about today. There's actually two of them that they're kind of similar that I want to talk about, um, and they all have to do with like passing and puck possession and, and stick pressure, which I know you absolutely love. And one is a corner to half wall, two versus one, and one's a seven pass, two versus one small area game. So the corner to half wall, two on one, it's just like a really small area area in the corner where you got to make four passes um, before you can go and shoot on the goalie. So they, they section off with a cone where you're only in the corner area in the offensive zone. And there's one puck, two offensive players, one defensive player, and they got to move around and they have to pass the puck and keep possession. They have to make four passes before they can go and shoot on the goalie. And, uh, and, and what that does is obviously you got to pass and get open, keep your head up offensively, but then defensively, you know, you're, you have an active stick. So you're trying to force and trying to take away passing lanes, try to jam up the guy that has the puck and which is one of the most important skills that you can, if you watch that world junior game between Canada and the U S go back and watch it and watch how freaking amazing those kids were with their sticks and their stick pressure. It was especially the D on the U S when they were uh, accepting rushes coming from Canada. Incredible, like absolutely incredible. So that's one of them. The other one is a seven pass two versus one small area game. And it's in the neutral zone where you put cones on each of the dots. And so it's a little bit more of a, of a bigger space. And again, same thing. You got to make seven passes to get a point uh, offensively. And uh, there's no shot to this one. So, the goalies aren't really involved. Although I guess you can involve the goalies. They can get in and they can work on their puck touches too. Uh, but that defensive player, it's about keeping your stick on the ice, angling, uh, trying to force uh, bad passes, trying to take away uh, passing lanes, all that kind of stuff. Offensively, keeping your head up, moving to be in a good place for support, maybe making a pass through uh, through the triangle um, and stuff like that. So uh, I just like games where there's a lot of puck movement, there's a lot of passing, but then also defensively, you know, you got to keep your stick on the ice and, and work on that stick pressure that we talk about all the time too yeah nothing like a two-on-one drill those are so fun i love those <laughs> yep and uh every two-on-one drill you should have a score fours versus d yeah oh, every, every drill you should have a score i mean well I'm, that's true keep score make it everything in life should be a competition yeah i actually did that in practice the other day i've been doing a lot more of that just because we can't play games right now so even like our first drills uh, we do a drill like a three-man weave drill, uh, which is just kind of like a three-on-o drill. But you get a point if you executed all your passes. Then you got a point if you um, got a shot on net. Then you got five points if you scored a goal on the first shot. And you got 10 points because we're working on, you know, with the goalies, giving them good shots. You get 10 points if it's a rebound goal. And we just uh, keep track. So you, yeah. <laughs> so you can, always, can always have a score in, in any drill that you're doing. I've been doing a lot of that just because we're not keeping score in games right now. So um, just that competitive aspect, the, the, the players were locked in with it too. Like they were yeah. focused more in it. And uh, um, those drills at the beginning, especially that you don't typically keep score on when you do that, like those drills. And I tell my players this all the time. Those drills are not warm-up drills. They're skill drills. You're working on necessary passing is a necessary skill to win as a team or to become a better hockey player, you know, like working on your edges and working on your skating or whatever it is that you guys are working on. And what people would call like quote unquote flow drills or warm up drills. Like we never called them that they're skill drills that you work on your game and you get better. It's not just to warm you up. To, you're not wasting your first 15 minutes of practice on warming yourself up. So you can then have 45 minutes of an actual practice. No, use that first 15 minutes to, you know, to, to work on your skill, work on your habits. 
Absolutely. You should have warmed up before the practice. So you're ready to go. Yeah. I, you know what I even hate? I hate when players come out and stretch. I hate it. I said, don't do like, don't like, let's get right into it. Like ice costs money. <laughs> let's, let's yeah. work on something. So stretch before practice. I don't know as a yeah. strength coach, if that's something you. Well, I mean, I wouldn't static stretch right before you're getting on. If you are going to static stretch before, I mean, Mike Boyle says you should static stretch and then foam roll and then do your activation or dynamic warm up, whatever you're into. I'm well, let's say that. it takes you, let's say, say it takes you 15 minutes to get dressed. Like every player should have a pre-practice routine. Everybody's got a pre-game routine on what they do to get their body warmed up. You need to have a pre-practice routine to get 100%. your body warmed up too. So get your pre-practice routine in, take 15 minutes to get dressed. Your body will be warm, I'm assuming. Yeah, your body will be warm if you did that. Yeah. Oh, dude, I, mean, I was sweating before every practice. <laughs> oh, no, seriously. Like it was my, well, goal you're not going to lose it. What I'm saying is you're not going to lose it in that 15 minutes that you're getting. Dressed. No, yeah, no. Yeah. And who takes, honestly, who takes 15 minutes to get dressed? Like it took me like three and a half minutes. I <laughs> going right up until I was, you know, ready to get my gear on. And then I'd be the first one on the ice warming the goalies up so I could get more shots in. I'm um, <laughs> getting more touches and more practice shooting than everyone else all year, year after year. Boom. Roasted. What's up? There we go. I like it. All right. Well, good stuff. We said that we, this wasn't going to be long. It was a, lot, a little bit longer than we uh, had anticipated, but that's okay. You guys are going to absolutely love this conversation with Dr. Cassidy Preston. We thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed it. Uh, we hope that you do too. Thank you so much for all the support that you give to us. We never want to start a part, uh, start a podcast without thanking you guys, the listeners. Uh, you're why we do this. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You're going to love this conversation. So without further ado, let's head on over to Dr. Cassidy Preston. We are so excited to have on this episode of the podcast from, dare I say, sorry, we just beat you in the world juniors, <laughs> but from up in Ontario and Canada there, Cassidy Preston, Dr. Cassidy Preston, what's going on? <laughs> I'm doing well. How are you guys doing? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Really excited to dive into a bunch of stuff and uh, yeah, very much enjoyed the conversation that we had last week, just kind of picking each other's brains on some stuff and got the chance to look into some of the, the really cool things that you're doing for, for um, athletes and hockey players up in your area. Um, but just to introduce you a little bit to, to our audience here, you grew up in uh, beautiful North Bay, Ontario, got the chance to play in the Ontario Hockey League, uh, play uh, college hockey at, at York up in CIS. So uh, if you can just uh, give us a little bit of a background of how you fell in love with the game up in North Bay and, and uh, just a little bit of background on your playing career. Yeah, it's, it's a pretty small town. It's like 50,000 people. And, and, but you know, we, we really loved our hockey and I grew up very passionate, you know, worked really hard. I was always a hardworking player, played up in age uh, often because we were in such a small town, uh, traveled a lot, had to travel to like play spring hockey stuff to get some different competition. And then, uh, in different times and then was fortunate enough to get drafted played five years of junior and that's where I really started to um, get really interested in the mental side of the game because I'd play great one game that'd be a disaster next yeah because uh, junior hockey is absolute mental warfare for oh everybody. yeah exactly yeah. Yeah. <laughs> all this going on and so um, I had some successful seasons I had some really tough seasons I go on a hot stretch cold stretch you know the, all the coaching like adversities and things and communication so that was uh, definitely challenging. And then I finished my career, had a cup of uh, coffee playing some pro in like Muskegon area in, in the States, which was fun. And then went and did five years of university hockey, actually between York and U of T, because uh, I did finish my undergrad and did my master's there. So that was, uh, that was my career and I, I really enjoyed it, but that's what got me into this field of mindset and mental performance because of all the struggles and the adversities that I went through and trying to figure stuff out the long way and the hard way. So that's, uh, that's how I ended up doing my PhD and now doing the work that I do now. 
That's awesome. Like, so we talk about the, you talked, you mentioned adversity like four times in that, uh, <laughs> in that which uh, for any hockey player that's listening to this, uh, that's played, you know, junior hockey and, and above, or even youth hockey, every hockey player goes yeah. through that stuff. Um, you know, and Jeff and I have been very open about, you know, some of the great things that have happened in our careers and some of the not so great things and some of the tough times that we've had to go through and how usually a lot, a lot of times those great things come right after some of those tough things and <laughs> some of the stuff that you've learned. So maybe what were some of uh, one or two of the tough things that you had to go through that kind of shaped your, well, I know we're going to get into the mental toughness yeah. part a little bit later, but just shaped your overall thought on the game. Yeah. One of my biggest ones uh, was my first year in the OHL. So I'm all pumped up. It's my NHL draft year. I I'm making the jump from junior A to OHL, which there's a whole backstory to that, whether I should have done that or not, but the I go I'm actually in the starting lineup like first line first game of the OHL uh, my first year and then things didn't quite go my way like just wasn't producing started getting less playing time confidence started going down and then by 10 12 games in the coach goes to me he's like it's gonna be hard to play you like I hadn't had a point yet and I'm like okay like I'll try like now I'm like in and out of the lineup and the rest of the year like I'm getting minimal minutes I got healthy scratch 34 games and I ended up the season with no points. So as a, as a forward, I got zero points. My first, I thought I was going to get drafted and go to the NHL. Like I, thought I was going to light it up that year and it went downhill. And then like I had a game, we drove from Toronto to Ottawa. I'm in the lineup. I'm actually dressing, didn't get a shift. Like, it's just like, it was just a lot of adversity from no points to not getting playing time, no recognition. It was definitely a tough year. And, and I get back to my hometown, like one of the only guys playing at a high level. I remember getting chirped by some guys like, like I could have got a point if I played that many games. I was like, are you kidding? Me? Like, I was oh, like, man. it was a low point. Like I want to just quit. I was like, this, like, what was all that work for? Like, just quit now. Like, and um, to stop tying my self-confidence and self-worth to what other people think, to the outcomes and the results was a, a bit of a turning point in my career. I was able to come back the next year, played up and down, actually won a championship in junior A, went on, had a decent OHL, like not a great OHL career, but, you know, went on, had the career I did um, and was able to, you know, a lot of lessons learned. Uh, and there's some other big adversities in there, but that's probably the biggest one for sure. I don't know if this is something you and I have went over. If we have, we probably haven't touched on it that much, but Cassidy you said something there that I'd like to talk about that, that you thought about quitting, you know, mm -hmm. and that's something that happened to me my first year in junior. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I, I ripped up the preseason. I think I led um, my USHL team in preseason points. And then I didn't score a goal until I think it was game 30. And then I got hurt in game 31 and I missed the rest of the season. Yeah. And you know, those first 30 games, like I wanted to quit hockey. I you know, I wanted to be back around my family because things weren't going well. And my parents, you know, they, they were like, you know, you, you should stick it out. And I kind of went back and forth with them. And I didn't tell my coach this, didn't tell anyone this. Uh -huh. So then there's like that added pressure. And then I feel bad that I'm like, do I want to give up? And it was, it was a really hard year. Uh, and you felt that way too. I know guys that I trained their first year when it doesn't go well, you know, mm -hmm. they have those feelings told that, did you, I, I know you may maybe felt that way when you got hurt, but your first year in junior, I know so, wasn't yeah. sexy. So, so my first year of junior hockey, and, and this is just a crazy stat, right? So my first four games of junior hockey, I got four points. My last four games of junior, uh, the, 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 that first year, Yeah. my last four games of my first year, I got four points in those games. Mm -hmm. The middle, let's say it's, uh, 
let's say you play 60 games in the USHL season. So that middle 52 games, I got four points in those games. <laughs> no joke. Oh, like that, wow. that was my stat line four in the first four, four in the last four and four in 52 games in, yeah. in the middle of the season. And, uh, and we say it, I mean, we're, we're very open on this podcast. Like the mm-hmm. jump from midget hockey to junior hockey is the biggest jump you will ever have in hockey. Like yeah. junior to college, College to pro, junior to pro, those are not as big as youth mm-hmm. hockey to junior hockey. It's not even close. And yeah. so I think that's where a lot of like high level hockey players learn the the grit and the sandpaper and all that kind of stuff. And I'm very fortunate. Like I played junior hockey in my hometown and I got mm-hmm. to live with my family. I don't know where I would be today <laughs> if that wasn't the case. Like my support yeah. system was amazing. So in those times, cause I didn't want to quit hockey, but there were certainly times where I'd ask my parents, like, should I go back to midget hockey? Yeah. Like this is not working out. This obviously yeah. is not working out. And yeah. it, it was the same thing. It was like, no, I'll just stick it out. This is going to be good for you at, at some point in the future. So um, mm. yeah, it's uh, it's, you have a lot of these conversations, even Craig Cunningham, who we had on here, played a bunch of years in the NHL and, and the AHL and stuff. His, his first year of juniors, he had zero points too. And I remember right. Vax, do you remember that when we had him on, we were like, what, yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And um, there's so many guys that it happens to, and it, yeah. I think it needs to be talked about more because mm-hmm. so many of my younger guys w- without me talking about that, they just think they're just going to go and light it up. And yeah. I was on a podcast last night and I was saying, you know, every level you go up, like you were probably one of the best players, if not mm-hmm. the best player on your team. But then you go up a level and everyone on that team was probably the best player coming from their previous team also. So yeah. you're not going to be the best player on your next team or yeah. or the next team after that. So yeah. you're going to have to fight adversity. You're going to have to learn to deal with it and you got to lean into it. Yeah, 100 percent. And I think you know the lessons that I've learned and we talk a lot about is like those moments of like despair and discouragement, like you're like, that's normal to feel that. Like you're going to have that to some extent, some like me, like where you want to quit. And I've had that, I had that numerous other times throughout my career at different times. And, but the point was, is learning to overcome that. And like you said, lean into it, find the encouragement, know your why, get back to, you know, the love of the game in the first place, because often that discouragement and despair is coming because we're too outcome focused, too result centered. Um, we're attaching all these external things and losing sight of why we started playing in the first place. So um, no, th- those lots we'll dive into, but yeah, I'm glad you picked up on that. Uh, facts. Well, I want to, I want to go, it's funny as we're talking about this, I want to dive a little bit deeper into what you're saying about being so outcome oriented, because mm-hmm. I think all three of us in our talking about, how tough it was mentioned points. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't have any goals. I didn't have any points, blah, 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 yeah. blah, blah. And it's so true, especially for people. Like you said, Jeff, you're, if you're the best player on your team or one of the best players, you probably have the most points on your team. And mm-hmm. so we, we get a lot of our self-worth and our confidence from, from that. And even like, we can have a, a crappy game, but we, maybe we put up a one and one, but we're like, yeah, you know, it's okay. Cause I, <laughs> and then you can play a great game and you can not have any points and you'll be a little bit angry anxious because you're like yeah. oh man you know so yeah. is that something Cassidy that you talk to a lot of the people you work with and, and not being so outcome oriented whether it's coaches and you're talking about wins and losses whether it's yeah. kids and you're talking about points just all those stuff that's not necessarily in your control yeah it, it's one of the biggest ones uh, on a couple fronts uh, first in terms of uh, it's one of the main reasons why athletes will end up getting into their own head right like you're overly focused on results I need it I have to get these results and then we start judging good or bad. And then we have the fantasies. I need to, I have to, I should get results. And it becomes a real downward spiral for a lot of people. And that's like, you see athletes, when you go into a slump, 
And then you kind of stay in a slump because like, I have to, I need to score and it becomes even harder to. And, you know, when you're focused on winning, it doesn't really help you win. Like one of the funniest ones I had, one of my coaches came in, it's like, let's really try and win this one. It's like, no shit. Like, of course we're trying to win. Like, it's not like, <laughs> what, what's, what are we doing? Like, what's the game plan? Like, what's the process? And it's so common knowledge actually now for the most part, like John Wooden's really helped, but like people know folks on the process, not the results. But like, I talk to junior guys all the time and they are checking their stats like multiple times a day, like, you know, daily, like I did, like, it's like, and we know not to. So it's because we're so compelled to, so we need to have a structure. What's more important than the stats, than those stats, particularly, um, or as a coach, you're constantly checking where you are in the standings and when the wins and the losses, like it's not bad to check. There's a difference between checking and being obsessed about it and it being the main thing. And so find something that's more important, know what to do. And like, if you're not doing that, what are you putting your attention, your focus on? And so that's, uh, you know, the way that I would frame like, yeah, it's a huge thing to focus on. And it sounds simple, but it's often not that simple to actually apply. And as an athlete, get dialed in onto what your process is. What's, you know, what are you putting your attention on instead of just getting caught up in results? I had a good example, like last year, there was a guy, he was like a point of game player in um, the OPJHL here, like the junior A league. And he finished like two points a game after stop checking his stats. And he finished like fifth in the league. And one of his main things was switching from becoming so result centered and checking his stats all the time to then just focus on the process, focus on your work ethic, things you can control and learn. And his points doubled uh, per game by the end. So it was like, you know, I would like to see how he does this year. They haven't played any games yet, but <laughs> so I'm like, um, see how he keeps moving forward. But that's a, a great example of like, you know, what a lot of players get caught up in that rat race and they don't reach their potential because of it. That's such a great lesson. I love hearing that. Oh man, I, I, young players, I hope you listen to that. And just, you know, I always try and talk about things that I used in my career because I know what worked for me. And then I try and uh, uh, tell people on the podcast and the guys in my gym to do the same things. And, and it usually works for them too, is I would write down on my uh, on everyday game day, what are the four things that make me the best me? And it wasn't get a point. It was things that I knew that if I did, I wound up usually getting points. And like Toph and I have talked about this multiple times, but for me, like it was um, always keep your feet moving, stick pressure, shoot everything, stop at the net. If I did those four things, I usually was going to come out of the game, especially once I played in Europe with a point or at least a ton of chances to get points. But if I just went into a game and was like, I need to score tonight, I wasn't going to score, you know? So it's like, instead of focusing on the result, focus on what gets you the results. And I went so far as to um, put big X's on my stick on the, where you tape the knob. And I used to have to tape my wrist because I injured it when I was younger. And I put a big X in Sharpie on my wrist every mm -hmm. single game, every single practice this. So when I would take off my glove to drink my water, I'd see the X and I'd say the four things to myself. And yeah. I did this for nine years, yeah. nine straight years. I did this because it just helped me to always, I'm somebody who needs those reminders. I need notes around clearly, like they're behind me. Like <laughs> the more I remind myself, the more I read things, it's like, Oh yeah, do that, do that. And then it's never, you know, up here, it doesn't say I want to make a million dollars. It's yeah. do this little thing. Cause I know that will make me successful. Same yeah. thing with hockey here. No, I love it. And I'll, I'll share one thing that we're using more. I got this from Todd Herman recently um, that really even adds to that, you know, going really deep. It's like, who do you want to be out on the ice? Um, and we talk a lot about like a reset routine, which is going from being in your own head to being in the zone and being mentally tough. And, but like, everyone's a little unique and you want to have your own identity. Like Vex, you have your identity, like you're doing these things and who are you being while you're doing it? Like, you know, it's a hardworking power forward or, and you have an identity wrapped in that, that, 
is unique to you. So it's like confident Vex or whatever. And it's like, this is who I'm being and this is what I do. And it's all about be and do and the results come from there. And so it's that process of being and then you can flip it. Who am I being and doing when I'm not playing at my best and put an identity around that. And it's like, oh, it's like scared Vex. Like, it's like, you know, and I'm chopping pucks up and I'm, you know, worried and hesitating and doubting myself. Now you have this massive contrast that is very personal and sticky for you. And it's like, this is me when I'm not at my best and I'm holding myself back. This is me when I'm playing at my best. And this is who I want to be. And so you're very connected to your being and your doing. And we use a reset routine. We activate, okay, once I get on the ice, this is who I'm going to be. And if I'm slipping back into, you know, slippery slope here, worried about what other people think, doubting myself, worried about making mistakes, overfocus on points, I'm going back into scared vex. And I was like, I got to activate and come back to here. And like, and that's why that, those reminders work. That's what you're doing to some extent. And I would just add in those words, the be like, who are you being? What's your mindset, your beliefs, your, your, your thoughts and like, or how are you feeling? Right. Cause it's not just what you do. It's how you feel while you do it. Um, but obviously writing out the do and the feel and then the mindset piece together goes, um, you know, works, works quite well. <laughs> Never heard that. I absolutely. I, you know, we've had on mental coaches and Toph and I have talked to psychologists, sports psychologists, everything. And it, it's always the positive create kind of a, a, mm -hmm. a persona for who you want to be, but then acknowledging, you know, what you are doing, doing and who you're being when yeah. you're not being you know that 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 conf, you know confident vex and then scuba steve would be my yeah. you know yeah. i'm sucking right now yeah, yeah exactly or maybe you know scuba steve scuba damn steve. you scuba <laughs> sam damn scuba steve. steve's father you know like <laughs> all right well wow man why am i not playing good then you analyze it oh man i was being scuba sam i was no stick pressure i wasn't stopping at the net yeah. i need to be confident vex not scuba steve well yeah. what does confidence vex do yeah. that i will be mm -hmm. man that is powerful uh yeah. people listen and rewind this listen to what he just said again because that was i love that that was powerful Woo. yeah no thank you it's uh, and ton herman i got that from his book it's, it's it's quite strong we we apply that then into our reset routine and you can think of it too as just like um and todd herman uses a great analogy of like superman and uh, clark kent and superman is your best self clark kent you know holding yourself back who's the real you is it confident Vex or is it Scuba Steve or Scuba Sam? Right? Like, who's the real you? Is it Clark Kent? And people, oh yeah, the real person's Clark Kent and he becomes Superman. No, it's not right. He's always Superman. I say, I use the words, it's your true self. Your true self is confident Vex, it's Superman. You have that power within you to be that. We sometimes develop and slip into this, you know, Scuba Steve to the Clark Kent and we hold ourselves back. And so when we can create this contrast of these personas or identities in sport and other areas of your life too, then it becomes very clear. It's like, this is how, what we're doing. We're going from here to there. And this is the true self. And this is not the real me. And the, obviously the results are drastically different too, but the, it's the being and the doing on um, that other part. And that Superman analogy, I think is uh, quite powerful too. For sure. I absolutely love that. So let me ask you this, like, what are some things that we can do to be in our true self more, you know, and, and, yeah. and then on the flip side, like, what are some things that you see kids do that make them more scuba Steve? Um, because, yeah. you know, I think about, we all reflect as we always talk, we reflect about kind of the stuff that we have going on in our, in our own lives. And I, like, I'm thinking about some of the things that I do consistently that allow me to be at my best self. And then I mm -hmm. think, and I know about the things 
that, uh, you know, that hold me back in, into being more scuba Steve. So like, what are some things that we can do? And you suggest, you know, people is cause it's not just kids. I mean, there's a life thing too, that anybody oh, can yeah. out of this. Like, what are some yeah. things that we can do to, to put ourselves in a position where we are being more of our best self? And then what are some things that you see that, that hold us back to? Yeah, I've got some big ones I'll share. So the first one in terms of like what you can do and like the process and like the strategies and exercises. And I think we emailed you just before about like reflection. And the importance of becoming self-aware, like just yeah. this conversation, listening as a person, listening, reflecting, oh, who's, what is my best self? What does that look like, feel like? What are they doing? That's self-awareness. And so the process of consistently though self-reflecting becomes important. You got to be aware. It's an ongoing process. It's not like, oh, I self-reflect a little bit for a week or a month. And now I don't have to self-reflect anymore and don't be, have to be self. It's an ongoing thing. Continuously self-reflecting helps you keep self-correcting right? The more you become self-aware, the better you get at self-correcting. And so that's a process. And I really encourage having some kind of a structured self-reflection, right? Like, what am I doing? Well, what, like, how did I do it? Like playing with confidence today, as an example, like, uh, what did I, how did I do it? Like using my reset routine or activating, becoming my best self and letting go of the scuba Steve, right? So you can have specific questions in there, you know, putting in my best effort, paying attention to the little details. Like I had a player today talking about this coach wants to be more vocal and a leader on his team. And it's like, yeah, add that in as a reflection. Just reflect on that every day. You become more self-aware. It becomes more a part of, you know, your identity, your best self. And so that's a, it sounds so simple and it is, but it's like, do the simple things consistently. Don't do it for a week or a month and then stop. This is a lifelong thing. Right. And, you know, people that excel in anything are constantly reflecting and they often write it down to some extent. They're reviewing it. You can see progress made. You can't cut corners when you write down. Right. I'm doing right now. Um, I'm pushing myself to do 15 things I did well each day. I often talk to athletes and a lot of athletes were getting to do that. It's like, hey, do three things you did well. Make sure because a lot of athletes are overly hard on themselves. Don't focus on what you do well. So it's like do three. No, no, I'm saying go do 15. Let's do 15 and make it big so that we can. Um, really push yourself to grow and look within. And so, but that's, it's a self-reflection process and then the, it's ongoing. It doesn't end. So that's, that's one, we obviously use the reset routine. I've said that a bit, but it's uh, ability to be aware in the moment to accept them like, oh, to activate your best self, you know, deal with and face your scuba Steve and what he's thinking and feeling. Cause most people, oh, well, I just don't want to be, I'm just trying to ignore and just be positive all the time. No, you got to go and look the devil in the eyes, right? Like you got to go face it. You can't kill it. It's a thought. It's a feeling you're human. We have, we get afraid. Like we go to scared scuba Steve, like that happens to, to ignore that and say that, Oh, I'm just going to be positive all the time and never have fears and never worry and get in my own head. That's a fantasy. Nobody has, you know, has a perfect mindset. That's just, you know, even the best athletes like Crosby or McDavid, you know, you think they never have doubts or worries and things they do, right? Like they're human. It's, you know, they get pretty good. It looks like they might not at times, and they're not going to go verbalize it all the time. But that's why like podcasts like this, you know, the podcast we've done, like I'm, I'm big on being honest and people open. And when people do that, it's, it's really important for athletes coming up to hear that. So that's what our reset routine is all about. And then the third big one is like mental prep. So that's using imagery, setting your intentions so that, you know, there's tons, you know, behind imagery and, you know, imagining who you're going to be and what you're going to do. So that's preparing well in advance and there's doing it during and then reflecting after. So that um, three cycle punch works really well to kind of keep being your best self. And then 
it's a long answer because it's a big question. But then on the flip side of like what's going on for the athletes and one of the main reasons why you're getting your own head or holding yourself back, I talk about three kind of major mistakes, mental mistakes. One was result-centered, which we've dove into. I touched on judgments. So as long as you're going around judging yourself, oh, I'm so good today, I was so bad, it was a good shift, bad shift. And you're judging things as good and bad and labeling it. You're beating yourself up and you're not staying what we like to call centered or you know neutral or staying grounded and learning and growing. You make mistakes, you have a rough shift, you cough a puck up, whatever it is, you can learn from it. It's not inherently bad. Like it's just an event and it happens. And so we, instead of judging things, because when you judge things, then you're going to you know, get more worried about, keep thinking about the outcomes. And that leads to the third big area of mistakes and mental mistakes, which is uh, fantasies and nightmares. Oh, I should do this. I have to. This is a make or break it. It's very black and white. It's so good if I succeed in score and it's so bad and it's so terrible here and I need to and I have to have this. And so it creates this like I'm worried about the bad thing happening and I'm seeking a need to achieve this. I need to be liked by everybody. I have to get drafted and get it's like, no, you don't need that. That's the result. And it's going to come and go. But don't think like it has to succeed and be liked by everybody all the time. Nobody, nobody succeeds all the time. Like we talked about right off the bat, people fail. It's part of the process. Adversity is part of it. And being like nobody's liked by everybody all the time. So those are kind of some of the, the concepts about like what the mental mistakes are and some of the things we teach and help people to get over and so they can get out of their own head and then use these other strategies as actually things that you do in the day in, day out that allow you to be your best self, right? And so you can be more consistent and you do those things consistently and you get those results. And obviously there's like, you know, going to the gym and do it at the work too. But from a mindset piece, that's, uh, that's the, how I'd answer that. Like I said, sorry, it was a long, long answer, but uh, hopefully it was uh, uh, good enough there. <laughs> no, that was, that was great. And also reminded me of Happy Gilmore. Harness yeah. energy block bad. Harness energy block bad. <laughs> Up and down and around. But, um, but uh, you know, there's so many things that you said that I think were impactful. And something that I think that we've all seen with youth hockey, especially the guys who really care and who are good players, when they mess up, a lot of times they have a tendency when they're younger, 14, 15, 16, and they're really competitive guys, they mess mm -hmm. up, they come back to the bench, they slam the stick, they oh, break yeah. their stick, they throw. But it, they're, a lot of times they're mad at themselves. I mean, if they're being mad at their teammates for messing up, that's like you need to get an attitude adjustment. Mm -hmm. But once they're mad at themselves because they're such competitors and like young guys listening to this, like, I went through that, you know, um, you think about Sidney Crosby when he's first in the league and everybody yeah. used to rip on him for being pouty, right? Yeah. He doesn't act that way anymore. He learned mm -hmm. to grow out of that and harness that energy and not beat himself up. If he made a mistake, if somebody was holding him and they didn't call a penalty, right? Like mm -hmm. he grew up from that and he grew into, I think the probably the best player of all time. Um, so it's a growing process. I do think he's the best Old player statement, time. Cotton. Dude, wow. I think he's the best. Wow. If I could take any player in the history of hockey on my team at their peak, I would take Sidney Crosby. For mm -hmm. Not the guy that has like more assists than anybody else has points ever? <laughs> I would take Sidney Crosby. <laughs> 10 out of 10. 10 out of 10 out of 15 times. Destiny's I mean, I, I, love, I love Crosby, but that <laughs> you're not taking Gretzky or Orr? No, I'm taking Crosby. 10 out of 10. Okay. I mean... Uh, it's impossible to compare an apple to an yeah. orange, but what happens yeah. if you put Gretzky's peak against Crosby's peak? It would be hilarious. Crosby would run him over. Yeah. Cros Crosby's got some extra muscle there, but yeah, I love that analogy though, that you can grow, right? <laughs> we go a long theoretical debate there, the, but you can grow on these skills. And I think, you know, what you said in terms of like, you know, we, 
you know, slamming sticks, getting frustrated. You want it so bad. And one of the common things, another mistake that kind of ties in there is like, you just got to, it's all about effort. You just got to work hard. Oh, just work hard. Just work hard. It's all, it's like, just got to want it more. It's not, it's not it. Like you got to work smarter. Like there's, you don't want to work smart and hard. And yeah, you could dive deeper and push yourself more, but sometimes like I want it I want it. And this happened to me. I, I broke a lot of sticks over crossbar. <laughs> like I had a bit of a temper. There's no doubt around that. So, you know, I've chirped refs and get kicked out of games. Like I've done all kinds of like things that aren't great. So, and I definitely needed some attitude adjustments along the way. So I get it. Like, you know, what Crosby did his first year, nothing what I was doing throughout my career. So, but the point being is, you know, that's, you but you really driven and i see athletes like and they can't understand why is the other team doing this why is it like the ref this right like and they get so frustrated and a lot of that has to do with like it's perspective you have to you're, you're judging things as good and bad you think nothing you know you can't make a mistake you can't believe the ref's not perfect why is this happening you can't miss oh my god i missed the net i can't you know i'm gonna someone swear oh you can't miss the net right so the um right and it's just like you can't accept it and so when we talk about the reset routine and these perspectives and understanding this this is about accepting and understanding those thoughts and emotions and keeping seeing the whole picture versus judging things so yeah i'm glad you brought that up because it's so common and especially in those highly driven players that want are so competitive like i'm people used to not want to play board games with me like i'm like i'm like i'm ruthless in a board game like so like i'm that competitive and so what but it's being able to harness it, like you said, becomes so important because it can be the the death of you. I was talking to a guy who's um, is like a top prospect and he's just so competitive. It's like, he is crazy anxious. Like he's been crazy anxious about this year. He's off to the next level. Now he's got all these draft rankings and it's like, oh, now I got to fulfill this. And it's like, and he wants it so bad. He can't stop thinking about it. He's becoming worried, right? And so, you know, you can literally flip going from being so worried by just learning and getting a little bit of perspective, developing a bit of habits, you can make pretty quick transformations pretty quick. So I said quick there five times, but, um, <laughs> so yeah, no, I'm glad learn. you brought that up. You yeah. just got to learn from it too. Like yeah. you know, t- listen to the older players and, you know, you talk about, you'd snap and, and, you know, you yell at reps or whatever. And, <laughs> and then there were times where I'd be really bad at that. And one time I really learned, <laughs> it was like my, fifth year pro already when I did this but I was in Norway playing against the best team in the league they had a budget probably four times the size of ours but we were top three in the league and they were number one and I get a two-minute penalty that was an absolute joke so I yell, I yell at the ref and as I'm going to the bench I keep yelling or the box I keep yelling at him so he, he gives me the 10 and I was so mad I turned around and dropped the f-bomb and, and I gave him the 10 back and then he gave me another one and then I was like <laughs> I gave him another one. So he winds up giving me three. I gave him two. I got 32 minutes and penalties over the course of 30 seconds. I get kicked out of the game. We lose the game. Uh-huh. You know, I'm in the locker room, like by myself, like ripping uh-huh. the bench up. And uh-huh. my coach comes in the locker room, who I was very close with. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he just looks at me just absolutely disappointed. And, you know, mm-hmm. we were very close. And uh, he never yelled at me ever. And he's just like, you know, I'm disappointed. You let the team down. And I was like, immediately like, wow. Like, mm-hmm. I just... I ruined our chance in the game because I got kicked out and I was our best player. And it just, it, yeah. was, it just lost my mind for that one second, but I learned from it. And I mm-hmm. don't know if I got a 10 minute penalty over the next four or five years uh, uh, after that. So at least when you have these mistakes, like he said, yeah. reflect, learn from them, learn to control your emotions and flip, flip it. Like well, it. Cassidy, let, let me ask you this because uh, like, one of the things in, in my, I got a, um, a sports psych master's at Miami of Ohio. And one of the things that I was really interested in was optimal levels of arousal, which yeah. is I'm sure something that you did, because as we're talking mm-hmm. here, like 
I played better when I was pissed. Mm-hmm. Like I played better when, you know, I had a little bit of that thing that oh, we're edge. talking about right now mm-hmm. that probably could be a negative, but also, mm-hmm. and, and, and every, every player kind of has their edge wherever mm-hmm. that is. Some players need to be a little bit more pissed off. Some players need to be calm before a game and stuff like mm-hmm. that. So as we're talking about this, I, I, I'd love to ask you the question because I, I was better if I was on the edge of maybe F bombing a ref or, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, or, yeah. or trying to fight somebody or whatever. I am five foot four. I had little man yeah. syndrome. I had to do that, you know? So, <laughs> um, so how would you go about talking about that? And we had, um, Tommy Niemela who, mm-hmm. um, is huge in, in Finland, uh, with mm-hmm. their national program. And I know in Finland, that's something that they talk about all the time with their oh, players, yeah. optimal levels of arousal. So, yeah. you know, in, in your field and, and what you're talking about with, with the players that you you're coaching, um, can you talk a little bit about that and how you can, yeah, we, we use it quite a bit. Be? So yeah. we, um, you know, if you think of 10, like 10 is when we're Leon at the ref, like nobody plays their best at 10, right? Like you're <laughs> t- 10, you're at max, like you're super tunnel vision you're blacked out, right? Like in, in a bad way. Right. So the, um, and the ones like you're asleep. So what I say, and for most athletes, particularly for hockey, players, I say you're optimal, you're playing at your best, your sweet spots between a six and an eight, right? Somewhere in there. Usually I don't, I, I suggest you're not lower than six and not higher than eight, just from a frame of reference. Cause there's always, you can go too high and you can always go too low. And so the number is almost irrelevant. So let's just say your sweet spot's a seven. You're playing at your best there. But like everyone's a little bit different, right? Like yours might have been an eight, whereas maybe mine and Vex is a seven or a six. And it, it does, it's what it feels like. And one of my favorite um, examples in athletes, like, okay, mine's seven, but it's seven with jam, right? It's like, I want to be, it's this, it's the optimal. You want to be optimally relaxed in a sense of like, you know, you want to be overly stressing out, but you want to be very focused at the same time. And so it's this mix of relaxed yet focused. So we call it a sweet spot. And it's the idea of like, you can go too high. And so your sweet spot might be an eight, but if you go to a nine, now you're doing something like stupid, right? Like, and it's just learning to find what is your sweet spot. And that can change throughout your career and throughout, you know, a season even, you know, and it's just being aware. And then often what happens, you know, on, in my work is like, teaching people to calm down because they're too tense they're too worried they're anxious they want to score they're upset at things so it's like calming down taking deep breaths using the reset routine developing that self-awareness understanding who their confident vex is versus um you know scuba steve and but sometimes it's they actually got to get it up right because it's like 60 game season it's game 45 and like whatever like no you gotta you gotta get yourself going you gotta make sure you're you're dialed in at the start of the game so yeah, it's, it's a great um, tool. And I have a lot of our athletes will reflect on that. What was my arousal level today? They reflect on it every day. It's like, it, that question can never go away. Like just, it's just constant there. Were, were you at your optimal? Were you at your sweet spot? Or were you too high, too low? Easy question to reflect on. Self-awareness gain. Why then? Why was I too high? Well, oh man, I was a six and a half. I just didn't have that jam today. Like that goalie said, right? So it's, um, uh, yeah, great point to bring up. So it's a, it's a huge part to what we're talking about here and, uh, and finding your confident vex or your, your best self. I think that's a, a great reflection question. And one that I never did after games was like, what, what number of arousal was I at during the game? Because mm-hmm. that would have really helped me to look at, you know, here at game 30 and you look back and as a pro, like, you know, you're trying to get paid. My, my role was you had to get some points. So like looking at, all right, looking at the course of the games, looking at, all right, what were my best games that I felt I played? And then also what were my games where I had, you know, the best 
points in the games and then looking at my, you know, arousal level. I don't like using that word. Is there another word you can use other than arousal? Um, Maybe energy, 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 whatever. I don't know. <laughs> Something other than Are you getting that aroused? Word. That's, that's a weird word to be using. It is. I don't really like the word either. I don't. That's weird. <laughs> it was weird. But anyways, and, and kind of cross-referencing that and then, you know, looking back and being like, okay, you know what? It seems like I played my best games when I blank and then trying to to get that to the next 30 games or whatever many games and trying to always hit that that sweet mm-hmm. spot i think that would be really good but something i want to bring up is um coaches listening to this it would be great for you to not only talk about this with your players this specific topic finding what their number is that makes them the mm-hmm. best you possible but then mm-hmm. also kind of helping them and you know even maybe in between periods hey johnny you know what we talked about it you're best when you're at a seven and a half mm-hmm. i think you're at a nine right now and then just real quick and then he could reflect in between periods yeah. man you know what i am a little on edge i should maybe bring it down just a little bit i think that that kind of would snap them back into bringing them into their superman versus yeah. their clark kent or scuba steve i think that that's something that could really help them and for younger players you know maybe just helping them kind of find that after the weekend hey you know what like you had a great weekend you were at about a seven and a half all weekend so that's where your sweet spot is or man yeah. you were at a four you were sleeping all weekend yeah. you weren't talking on the bench i mm-hmm. think that if you want to be be we got to get you up to your sweet spot of whatever level not that word we were using before yeah <laughs> yeah that's funny. No, and I, I love the word sweet spot because that, that's what it is it's this happy medium for you of relaxed yet focused and that's why like the word energy is not perfect because you want to have a lot of high energy nobody plays like i'm going to play with low energy like <laughs> yeah you want to you want focus you want focus and you want to be relaxed you want to be too tense right so it's like the sweet spot of that and it's like oh i was too high or it's too low and so I have like, I really, if I have a really young athlete, which we have some that we'll work with, it's like, I don't even get them to come up with a number. Just were you at your sweet spot or were you too high, too low? Right. So it's like, because yeah. then they're like seven. Am I a simple? Like they don't it. get it. Like an older athlete's 14 or older. You, they usually get it. They can come up. Yeah. Okay. My number seven, I was too high. I was too low. Um, but uh, yeah, we can use sweet spot instead of arousal level. <laughs> there we go. So, <laughs> Well, Cassidy, one of the things that we've talked a lot about today is reflection and, and how important that can be. And, you know, I remember um, being up in Lake Placid at the ECAC uh, finals, um, going to watch Cornell play. And I was actually doing the the, uh, the TV for it, the color commentary. And the night before the game, I just happened to walk into the hotel bar to grab some dinner. And I uh, actually had dinner and a couple beers with Scott Young, who is uh, one of the big development coaches for Pittsburgh. And Jeff, you probably know him from his days in, in St. Louis and he's awesome. Like he was a great player and gross yeah. great snapshot, dude. Great snapshot. Shooting yeah. in stride like Joe Sackick. Oh yeah. So, um, got the chance to talk to him and we were talking development and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, one of the things that he said is one of the most important things that a player can have nowadays, but most of the players are lacking is that self-awareness. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, you know, reflection is a huge, huge piece to that. You know, we are surrounded and especially kids are surrounded with so much information and, and phones and, and, and everything that a lot of times we just, we don't take times for ourselves to really reflect about ourselves and what's our why and, and all the stuff that we were talking about before. Um, so with an NHL development coach talking about how one of the most important things is self-awareness and us talking about reflection, how, how can kids or players or, or even anybody like give us some strategies on how we can reflect. Cause it's one thing to say like, Oh, you should think about 
whatever, but like maybe what are some of the things that we can be thinking about? Maybe if we're journaling, what are some things that we can write down um, yeah. to, so we can be consistent with it? We can be self-aware. And when we get that self-awareness, we can be our, our best uh, non-scuba Steve. By the way, this uh, this episode is brought to you by uh, Big Daddy, the movie. And Steve. So uh, head on over to Netflix and and, uh, and catch that. <laughs> yeah, I love it. Um, so yeah, I'll just first just jump on like the self-awareness concept of just how crucial. It's like it's like a superpower we have as humans. Like no other creature on earth is very, is like self-aware at all. Like you think of like a chipmunk, what does it do? Just runs around, it's going the next thing, the next thing. And that's the way a lot of kids and people end up operating, right? They're not reflecting on how am I thinking and feeling and acting? What do I want, right? And so then in terms of like, what are some strategies to develop that self-awareness, some self-reflection? I think the most important one is doing something daily, not just do it one time, but get a daily habit that works for you. And so, you know, maybe some of the things we've already talked about would resonate. And we have like some certain ones that we often press, which are like, did I do my best to be, um, use my reset routine today to take a deep breath and become my best self, my confident Vex, my Superman, right? Like that's a, a number one question. What was my arousal level or did I hit my sweet spot today? Easy question to reflect on. And then it's often good. And I do a lot of like, did I do my best? Not was I perfect? Cause that can lead to issues, right? And develop. Uh, fantasies but did I do my best at it today and it's like kind of a yes no you can rate yourself and then why right elaborate journal like journaling just in and of itself is is healthy and helpful this is just a structured journaling process or reflection process and um so those would be some great uh, initial questions then it's like um things such as like you know did I do my best to filter out what other people think and be certain in who I am versus get worried about what everyone thinks and trying to please everybody and make sure everyone likes me. Like that's another common question that you can reflect on. So, you know, in terms of like, what are the best strategies? My number one answer is just, it's gotta be consistent. It's not just a one-time thing. Cause like, let's, that's great. Like we're gonna reflect for a week. And then at the end of the week, like oh, things are rolling, feeling confident. I'm like, I'm better understanding myself and then doesn't do it for a month. Where is he at? I mean, he's probably back to square one. Like, it's just like, go to the gym and work out. And it's like, I go hard for a month. Oh yeah, I'm feeling great. And then take two months off. Where do you end up? Almost back at where you started. It's, this is a never ending process. You want to be self-aware? What do you do? Consistently self-reflect. And then what matters is you can alter the questions that you're asking yourself and reflecting on based on your unique needs. I use like a spinning plate analogy often. It's like, you know, you're spinning this plate and it's spinning fine. Well, you don't have to give it too much attention then maybe right now. So you start spinning this plate and you put attention over there and then you spin this plate and it's like, which one's wobbling? Oh, okay, I'm going to start asking myself this question again and reflect on that. And I'm big on for, especially for younger athletes, like not having too many questions, right? It's like, you know, there's always clarity and um, uh, when you have a smaller sample, it's like this, I'm focused on this. These are my priorities versus like, oh, I could give you a list of a hundred questions and like you won't finish it and then you won't do any questions at the end. So it's pick the top ones for you that are most relevant. What are you working on? What do you care about? And, um, and I think it's crucial to have obviously mindset questions because those are the hardest things to reflect on. What am I thinking and feeling, right? Am I playing with my best self or was I being versus being scuba Steve, right? So those kind of questions, you know, have a lot of weight, have a lot of ability to get quick ways to become more self-aware so you can get better at self-correcting. So it's kind of, um, a roundabout way to answer that question, but I think, uh, I think I hit it. Yeah, no, that's, that's amazing. And, and, uh, you know, I sent this to you earlier, but when I do my team building stuff with, with teams, I draw 
um, everybody, we're always looking for greatness, right? We're always looking to be excellent at, at, at what we do. And I draw a direct line from reflection to excellence. Yeah. And, and like what I kind of tell the, the people is, is like, okay, here we go. And, and the kids, they, when, when they wrap their head around this, they're like, man, that makes a lot of sense. So mm-hmm. when you reflect, you get clarity, just like you said, right? Mm-hmm. When you think about why you do what you do, you get clarity about what you do. And when you have clarity, it gives you a purpose. Now, here's my purpose. Here's the meaning of, of what I'm doing. And when you have purpose and meaning with what you do, you're passionate about it. You're mm-hmm. like, okay, this is my one thing. This is the thing that I absolutely love. This is why I do it. I'm going to freaking go do everything I can to get that. And when you're passionate about something, you're committed to it because you love to do it. It's fun. Like, okay, now, and when you're committed to it and you're doing it every day, now you're getting great habits. Mm -hmm. And when you have great habits, that's what excellence is. It's consistently doing the right things and at the best of your ability or near the best of your ability every single day. And, and it all starts with your why and, and, and reflecting and becoming self-aware because you can be good at something, but if you're not passionate about it, it doesn't matter. You're not going to be able to be great at it unless you're, you know, a, a freak of nature, you know, <laughs> athletically or, or in whatever field that you want to be in. So I just, I, the more that, that I do my research and talk to people like you and, and talk to athletes, like the reflection part of it is, is something that literally nobody does. Nobody does it, but it's, it's for me, it's the, the base of becoming great is, is yeah. the reflection part. So, um, I, I just think it's so, so important. The fact that we were able to bring it up and talk about it with someone like you that has done the research on it. I just, it's, um, it's something we need to talk about more. It's something we need to coach more. I myself am guilty of not, you know, talking about this enough with, with the players that I coach. Um, but it is, it's, uh, it's such a valuable tool to have in our toolkit. Yeah, man, this is such a cool story. One of my pro guys, his name's Michael Hunterbrinker. Um, so he ripped up the USHLs last year. I think he had like over a point a game, maybe. Goes to Minnesota, Minnesota State, Mankato. First three years weren't great. Not not bad, but not great. Winds up being an assistant captain going to senior year um, and has a really good year. Goes, signs of the Coast deal. I've talked about him before. First five games of his uh, rookie year, he's healthy scratch in the East Coast League. He winds up by, what is it, maybe January, February, when they select the All-Star game. He was an ECHL All-Star. The next year, he goes to AHL camp. He leads the entire AHL in points in preseason. Because of NHL contract guys getting sent down, whatever, he winds up back in the coast. But he was on an AHL deal. Um, this year he is leading the East coast league right now. He's, he signed an AHL deal. Milwaukee decided not to play in the AHL this year. So he went to the coast to get some games while he's deciding maybe what AHL team he'll sign with. And he's leading the East coast league, which is very deep right now because all those AHL guys started out there to just get games. He's leading the league in points every single game. The last two years, as soon as the game ends, he does kind of exactly what we're talking about. He writes down, did I play well today? Why did I play well? If I didn't play well, why didn't I play well? How was I feeling? Uh, you know, what, what areas did I maybe, did I make a mistake at the blue line? Why did I recover from it? And then he watches his shifts right when he gets home, just his shifts and goes over them real quick while it's still fresh in his head. And he takes notes and he reflects on everything. Like this guy's success is not an accident. He was healthy scratched his first five games straight and pro. And he's a two-time ECHL all-star led the AHL in pre season points signs an AHL deal from being an East coast player. I mean, and, and now he's leading the, the coast in, in points, like all because like he's doing all these little tiny things we're talking about. But yeah. he said that once he started doing this reflection thing, I think it was a year and a half, two years ago, like his game, just like 
went to an even another level. So, you know, like that's a, that's a real example of this happening and the difference it's made in someone. So, I mean, don't, don't take this stuff for granted. Like it's these little things that are going to wind up, you doing them day after day are going to wind up being a big thing and it might take you 10, 20 minutes a day. Yeah. So no, Cassidy, let, let me ask you this. How do you make little things sexy? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. how do you, be, because if you want to be great at something, it's not mm-hmm. sexy, exactly. but everybody wants the, you know, the, the diet, you know, I'm going to get, mm-hmm. I'm going to get fit because of the diet that they do for two days. Mm-hmm. And then they, again, this is a great example. It's January, yeah. whatever that we're doing this <laughs> yeah. doing it right now. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and so like it is, it's, it's what you're, what people do when nobody's looking, those little things consistently every day, that 1% better. And everybody mm-hmm. says that. You know, mm. I think everybody kind of knows at least that it like listened mm. to a podcast or read a book in any capacity, oh, yeah, that, right? yeah. but, but it's so that. hard to, to, to follow through with. So yeah. like, and, and I think a part of that is like, it's not sexy. Exactly. There's no, there's no like magic pill. There's no great marketing scheme um, that can just you boom, you just snap your fingers and, and you're great at something. So like, mm. I've always kind of like thought about like just from a branding marketing perspective, how do you make little consistent things that's not very sexy, sexy. So more people would want to do it. Does that make, I don't know if I'm making much. Oh yeah. hundred percent. Like it's like that. That's my business, my field. Like that's our struggle. Like, (laughs) Oh, I got, I got put in more work. Like, (laughs) like to get more results. Like what are you talking like? But even, but even, but even like what we're talking about, like, yeah. writing something in a journal will take oh, you five minutes, not more work. And that, that's what it, yeah. you know gets me mad. Sometimes it's like, you're willing to put in the sweat, the hours, the hard work at the gym on the ice and you won't spend five minutes reflecting and you like, and, and because yeah, it's not so obvious. So it's about building habits. And so a couple things that we do one, it's like, once we get it, them to try it and we, and we hold them accountable, like we have uh, group calls and there's weekly reminders and we check in, they have one-on-one stuff. And we have a team of coaches and cause it's, it's just getting the habit. And once that habit sticks and they see the benefits, then they keep doing it. And that's, um, and, and so that's what we do, but yeah, there's no way to make reflection sexy. Like it's just not going to happen, but you know, we use, and that's why we usually teach it second because it's not an easy early adopter. We'll often, I throw in like the reset routine, like the Superman on Clark Kent analogy, you know, scuba Steve, like, Oh yeah, this makes sense. I can see. And you get instant impact from that. Right. And then it's like, they start buying in more and then we, and then we color that. And it's like, well, to help you do that better, let's do some reflecting and like, and like, Oh, and then it's working and then they keep doing the work. So, and one of the things that I do, like the, and you think of it, like, you just have to accept that, like, being successful and like you want to play at your best it's not about doing the sexy things it's about doing the little grindy things um and to me it's a non-negotiable the athletes i work with you're not going to reflect i'm not working with you like that's like this is the bottom line i have one player um he's in the i think the ushl he's on the draft list and it's like he's like oh yeah like this reflection is hard but it's like we've we tweaked it where it's like they're just quick questions for him like, cause he doesn't want to spend, you know, 10 minutes writing it out. He'll think about it. And he just wants to like, you know, quick yes, no. And it's working for him. Like, so you can find a reflection process that works for you. And, you know, he thinks a lot about it, but then he just makes some notes, but he goes through the process consistently. But I was like, it's non-negotiable. Like I can, we can do a weekly session or do this, or like, there's no magic pill. Like you said, you have to put in the work. And like, you can say the same with like, you know, you're working out. It's like, you can give somebody the best workout plan. But they don't do it. It don't matter. Like, so I can give you the strategies to work on your mental toughness, your mindset. But if you don't do the work consistently, it's not going to add up. And so, 
Um, yeah, I, I wish that there was a way. I don't I haven't got it yet to make it as sexy as possible. But I think you know some of our other things help pull people in, and then we kind of we throw that one in there. <laughs> um, but yeah, we don't have uh, we don't have it uh, you know sexily packaged or whatever. Maybe, <laughs> like, maybe yeah. that's the beauty of it, though. Yeah, maybe that's the beauty 100%. of it. That's probably. I mean, thinking about it, I mean, that's there can only be so few people that can succeed succeed yeah. whatever yeah. success means to you and yeah. and uh it's i mean it's hard to be great if it was yeah. easy everybody can do it you know everybody's yeah. kind of heard that saying but that's i mean it's interesting to to ask that question but just come to the realization that there is no answer to that question it's not yeah. possible it's just if yeah. you want to be great at something you you do have to it's <laughs> you just yeah. got to saddle up do, yeah, it, I, do it yeah yeah, you can you use that for the people listening. It's like, that's an opportunity for you. Oh, most people aren't willing to put in that 10 minutes a day. If you are, you just got a huge leg up, right? So um, those, those little things add up. The only other thing I wanted to make sure to, to tie in and Vex, you brought up earlier was just the role of coaches and the impact they can have. Um, you talk about self-awareness with coaches too. Like I'm huge on coaches becoming more self-aware and self-reflecting. You know, I think it's a big thing. I know we were maybe going to get into it, but a lot of coaches are constantly assessing their players. And when are they assessing themselves? And you got to lead by example, self-reflect, take ownership. Um, and then, like you said, Vex, like give the guys a little nudge to help them become more self-aware. And if you planted the seeds in advance on arousal level or sweet spot and so forth, that can help with them. So I don't know, we, I don't know what the timeline is here, but uh, you know, coaches play a huge role in this. And that's why I do do a lot of uh, work in that area now. And that's a lot of my doctoral work was on, coach and the psychology of coaching i mean i literally was conversation in the gym with uh with somebody about their son who's who's in nhl camp right now and just saying like i wish that more nhl gms assistant gms all the staff all the coaches would have um they'd bring in a sports psychologist to speak to them just Mm -hmm. to be like this is how you can get more out of your players that has nothing to do with hockey. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I look back on my career and I think it's starting to change because of guys like Cooper and some of these younger coaches that are more, mm-hmm. I would say forward thinking and they, they bring in the psychology, like an Adam Nicholas, who's talked about coaches should speak to teachers on how to teach kind of the same idea. Like coaches who talk to sports psychologists because you're not, you can't give anyone confidence, but literally like at those higher levels, just going around the locker room and talking to your players. Hey man, how's it going today? How's your wife? You know, knowing your wife's name, how are your kids? Like, how's your dad doing? Like no one, like literally a 30 second conversation. And now that player will buy into you more. It sounds so simple, but for some reason, coaches don't do it. You know, like sending a text every other week to players on your team out of the blue, different, not the same to just randomly, just pick a guy. I'm going to text one guy today and just be like, Hey man, you know what? I really liked how you did blank today. They could have had a terrible practice. So you're picking them up. They could have had a great practice. So you're pumping their tires. That will, that will boost their self image and their self confidence. And it took you 10 seconds to send a text. I do not understand why more professional coaches don't do this and why more professional teams don't bring in psychologists and, and people like you to mm-hmm. tell them how to get more out of their players that ha- and it has nothing to do with hockey. Well, one of the things that Cassidy, you, you talked about and, and some of the stuff that you sent me over was proactive communication and, yeah. and how that can be such a benefit. And that's a lot of kind of like, and I'm not sure if that was completely what you were going yeah. with, but yeah. having a plan as a coach to, you know, reach out to maybe three or four guys. And, and it could be as simple as 
just what you're saying, Vex, walking around in the locker room or, you know, maybe once, once a month, you make sure that you bring a guy into the office just to talk, but it doesn't even have to be about hockey. Just yeah. let them know that you care. So can, can you touch on that proactive communication? Because I, I think that's a game changer. I literally think that's a game changer. Yeah, I've got lots to say about coach communication. So the that point there particularly is you can have both formal and informal conversation and you need both, right? Like there's there's definitely going to have some formal conversation. You can't avoid it. And it's nice to have, what's your rhythm? Is it once a month? You make sure you sit down with a guy for 15 minutes just as a quick check-in or your, your assistant coaches do. And then, but then the informal stuff like Vex is talking about, like that's so important, right? Just the little checks. It's the little high. Hey, how's it going? How's your wife doing? Knowing their names, getting to know them as people. Like, um, what was it? Uh, 11 Rings. Uh, he talked about, uh, what's I got the book there? Phil Jackson. Yeah, Phil yeah. Jackson. <laughs> Blanking on me. Chicago and Bulls, like, he'd take his guys out for meals all the time. And it's that famous wine. Like, loves his wine. Like, so it's building those relationships. Those informal uh, communication becomes so important. So there's a lot of that. Like I obviously work with a lot of players and they really often struggle to communicate with their coaches. Like there is a, a, often a hard communication barrier between coaches and athletes. They, the athletes don't feel like the coach is communicating to them. They have a hard time then going approaching and talking to the coaches. And, you know, so learning how to communicate that's leadership one-on-one and you are a leader as a coach first and foremost. And so, you know, that's where we're doing some more coaching programs in the psychology of coaching. And one of my favorite things is just a, as part of our program is crucial conversations. If you haven't read that book, it's one of the fundamental ways to like, how do you deal with a conversation when it goes tough? Like when things are, when there's emotions on the line, you know, a player's getting healthy scratch and you got to explain to them why. Like, I remember getting healthy scratch. Like, I, I don't know if I ever got an explanation, like, just like tough break like <laughs> like not what can you work on understanding like you know not like and so there's no real communication there and like and that's just like i just see that all the time right and there's how go and have a crucial conversation or if an athlete screws up can you go and talk to them and understand and and work with them or and if what's huge is in new sport talk to a parent and have a crucial conversation with them so there's this great framework on crucial conversations um, that, you know, I've done the course and that and read the books. They're, they're fantastic. They're huge for all areas of life. I use that with my wife. I'm saying like, you know, we got to have, we can talk about things. It's, it's so important to know there's a whole psychology to making safe space conversations, understanding, are we talking about content? Are we talking about the relationships? Are we talking about patterns? And then how to create a safe place, how to have a shared pool of meaning is this fantastic stuff that is key to effective leadership and coaches have such a leadership role. And uh, I think, you know, more needs to be investigated there. And one of the things I did in my doctor work, if you look at like coach education, it is all about X's and O's, not about communication and leadership styles. And there's so much good research and strategies out there to be taught and implement. It ain't easy to implement, but it can at least be taught and then practiced and refined and be taught to coaches and people in leadership positions that has a huge impact on themselves as the coach and therefore the team, but also the players and their overall experience. So yeah, I'm glad, uh, glad we were able to bring that one up. It's a big one. That's so true. You look at any problem it, within a team, within a marriage or a relationship mm -hmm. or a company, I would say nine times out of 10, maybe it, it stems from 
a lack of or a miscommunication, yeah. you know, not being on the same page with each other. And and one of the things that you mentioned there that I wanted to ask you about too, you mentioned a safe place. And yeah. and I kind of define a safe place. I'm sure people think of it in different ways, but I kind of define a safe place as a place where you're welcome to be yourself. Mm-hmm. Just somewhere where you're not afraid to just be freaking you, however weird or whatever, <laughs> like uh, fun, like whoever you are, you, you could just mm-hmm. go in and, and be that. And, you know, Google did that big Aristotle study, however many years ago, where they studied the, you know, the effectiveness of all their teams. And Vax, I don't know if you've heard of this study or seen it, but they basically had these researchers come in and, you know, what makes up the best teams at Google? Like, mm-hmm. and so they did this whole longitudinal like study over years or whatever. And it turns out that one of the biggest um, attributes of a best team was just social support and like feeling okay to give your opinion. And, and that's something you mentioned it too. Like that's hard for, it's hard for kids to knock on a door and go say, Hey coach, I want to talk. There's very few kids that, that have that confidence to, to be able to do that. And we've talked on this podcast, how parents really need to, teach that in their kids and say, Hey, if you have an issue with the coach, you need to go and do that. But at the same time, the coaches have to create an environment where that's okay. You know? So, so like for you, what does a safe space mean? How important is that? And, and as coaches, how can we, uh, what are some things that we can do to create that safe environment where players can be themselves and, and, you know, bring out the best in them? Yeah. Well, there's a couple of big things. I won't go into all of it, but a couple of the top ones that come to mind are first, like before you go into that conversation, you have to get in the right headspace yourself. Right. So you're a coach and you're like, oh, this player did this. It's like that little, like, and you're pissed. <laughs> you go into that conversation. You're probably going to be reactionary. You're not, you're going to like, you might say things in a bit of a tone or a way that then they're just going to shut right down. Are right? you talking like, about coaching or parenting? Both. Because <laughs> that was about my daughter this morning. Oh, she was flipping out a little bit. She didn't want to, she wanted to wear a skirt, but it's the winter time. So I was like, oh, and then she is. And I, I, I didn't create much of a safe space. So yeah, no, so <laughs> it's, uh, no, exactly. It, it applies to all areas of life. So it's like, you got to get in your right headspace first before you have that's like, okay, why would a rational person maybe have done that? Better understand what role have I played in this? And like, you know, get some perspective before you walk in. And then, so you're dealing, you're coming to more neutral versus charged and emotionally already, you know, bent to out to get the person. And then the second thing that I would frame that definitely helps is like, here's the facts. Like the facts are non-judgmental. It's like, this is what I see. This is what's going on. Here's my opinion of it. And then ask for their opinion. That becomes a huge thing. It's like, because we want to get our stories aligned and our perspectives aligned so we can get on the same pace so we can move forward together. And then the another big one that I find is very helpful for creating a safe place is about like clarifying intentions. My intention is not to make you feel bad or to do this. It's like, it is to do this, right? And like, you know, a contrasting intention statement becomes very helpful to create space. And you often have to do that. You have to step away from the content that you're talking about. Maybe it's the play or the mistake or the, the skirt, right? And like create safe safeness, create, clarify your intentions and then come back to, you can't talk about the skirt. If she's all upset. Like, you can't talk about the play if they're all upset and they they don't feel safe. So you have to leave the conversation and create safe. So that crucial conversation stuff is, uh, is fantastic. I think honesty too, you know, yeah. I, I think, um, honesty and, and, and I would tie that in with a little bit with authenticity because, players can smell out a phony when they can like when it's happening, you know, like we've all had those coaches where you know what they're saying. There's an ulterior motive 
you know, that they're trying to kind of get you to do something or be a certain way or whatever. When I think any player would tell you, you listen to high level people talk and and with podcasts or interviews, they just tough, but fair, like just, just give me an honest assessment, you know? And, and, uh, I can't stand the, the coaches who, you know, try to mind game you and, 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 and just aren't straightforward. I don't think anybody really respects that kind of communication. So as, as difficult as it can be at times, like, Honesty is just like, it's, it's so important. I don't know. Yeah, no, I, that's huge. Cause and it, like one of the most foundational things with any relationship is trust, right? You talk about support and trust and being vulnerable and it's, you break trust. Like what you got? Like what's the, the you might not ever trust. be able to get that kid back. Yeah. You might not ever be able to like you break that trust. Like yeah. the kids hold grudges, people hold yeah. grudges. And, and for me, that's a big one. Like if, yeah. if you've done something to break my trust, like it's, <laughs> I've, and I've told this to people, like, it's going to be tough for you yeah. to kind of get back on, yeah. on my side where I actually can have a conversation with you, you know? Um, it's, that's so, so how do you do Like, how do you build that? How do you build that trust? Because I, you can, I've heard so many coaches say, Hey, you need to build trust. Trust is the most important thing in your relationship with players. And then they just kind of leave it at that. So like, what are you, what are some strategies? What are some things that coaches can do to help build that trust within their team and their players? Yeah. So the, a couple of the big ones would be make sure you do what you say you're going to do. Be honest. Like we're talking about, I think another though, huge one, which is misunderstood a lot is vulnerability being open and honest and being able to share how you feel and be vulnerable. Cause like, where does trust come from? It's like, I can be, like you said, be myself, right? When you have a healthy relationship, it's where you get to, both people are, are able to be vulnerable and share how they think and they feel and be truthful. And so as a coach, I'm like, so like who takes the leap of vulnerability first? And there's a bunch of great work by Brene Brown on vulnerability. She's awesome. And it takes strength to be vulnerable, right? And so it's like, as a coach, like I remember as a coach, some of my best moments is when I was like, I screwed up. That was on me. I didn't do this well. And I'd be open and honest with like how, like I, I went off track here, like, and that builds trust. Like, Oh, this guy is not out to get us or manipulate us, but like, it's, it's just about being clear, honest, transparent. So some of those things are, are definitely some big ones. There's obviously, then you can do like some exercises to, to help facilitate that, but those would be the, the top concepts to, to develop that trust. I love that. In fact, so you, like you kind of on the same wavelength, like, yeah, I mean, I, I when we first started talking about this, I think back to when I was playing juniors. Obviously, that was eight billion years ago. But like, <laughs> I just think there's a better way. You know, my first year, like I said, I had a rough start to the first half, and all 31 games, I think it was, that I played in the regular season, I was coming in, and I didn't know if I was playing that night. And I think that's such a ridiculous archaic thing to do and i know there's still teams that do this because guys i train are dealing with this going to the rink you're nervous you're scared so even if you are playing all day long you're anxiety you have anxiety which is like that's not gonna that's gonna produce cortisol within your body which makes you tired it makes you sore and now you're not able to be free and just ready to play the game and in the perfect headspace so you're literally hampering your players physical and mental ability before the game even starts what are you doing that is stupid so and not only that if it's going to be a guy who you're not going to play why not grab him at the pregame skate or the morning of and just go to him and say hey jeff you're not going to play tonight and this is why 
and just tell him exactly. I would have loved for him to be like, Jeff, you're not good enough to play right now. This is what you need to work on. I would have been in the gym. I would have been on the rink, extra time, watching video, doing exactly what he told me I needed to do to be successful. Instead, I'm crapping my pants 300 times a day, worrying if I'm going to play in that game. I'm embarrassed because I don't know if I'm going to play. I'm tiptoeing into the locker room to see if my number's on the board, on the lineup. And that's just not, like, that, that does not help me as a player or the team because I'm not going to be able to play my best game not knowing coming into the locker room if I'm playing or not and this is still going on because I have guys dealing with this and right. then and then on top of that um, I've had guys over Christmas break here or their seasons are on pause the last two months telling me you know when they get healthy scratch though I well did you I say first thing did you talk to the coach go say honestly not why am I not playing Mm-hmm. players listen to this you don't go to the coach and say yeah. why am i not playing because that's gonna coach that's not the verbiage you want to use you want to say what can i do to keep myself in the lineup because i want to help the team win not mm-hmm. why i'm not don't make it about you yeah. you know like what can i do to be better so that i give myself a chance to play and the coach will definitely react to that verbiage better and then hopefully he will tell you but to the coaches out there who who run around the topic and just oh it's a numbers game well no it's not you chose him not to play for a reason so tell him why, and then most players, especially at the elite levels, are going to want to work on whatever they need to work on that is the reason that you took them out of the lineup. Just be honest. Yeah. Be honest. Yeah, uh, I, that's so well said. And I think, you know, I remember my junior days, it's like you walk in, the, your your jersey was hung. <laughs> like, you're like yeah. my jersey hung today, or your name's on the lineup. It's like, how inhumane is that? Like, you can't come and tell somebody. I'm on our road trips. Oh, coming off the road trips, he'd tell you as you're exiting the bus. And we would, as we exit the bus, I try to not look at him, hoping he wouldn't, right. like, like maybe right. just wouldn't tell me if, if, if he couldn't just like almost see me. It's just like, uh, and, and, and not get an explanation. And one of the funny things I think uh, kind of spark when you're talking there is like goalies. Often goalies know, they get to know if they're starting or not. But, what, what you, but you're not going to tell a player if he's in the lineup or not until like the, the date, like right before. Like it's just like, why do we do it for goalies but not players? Like, of course, goalies in a way are more important in a, in a sense of like, you know, in, in some senses. But the point, like treat everybody, like treat them well and and treat them like humans. And, and like you said, because it does make you anxious and throughout the day, and it can throw off your performance. And then one of my favorite uh, lines was one of the guys I work with and, and my friend Herdsy, who talked about like when he was, you know, contemplating some different options and coaches and pro, it was the coach that was the most honest. Like, this is where you're starting. You're still going to start on the third line. Like, that's where it is. And maybe it'll work your way up. And it was just like, this is it. This is what I see. You know, and he was like, that guy was honest with me. And that's where he went. And then he got honest coaching. He enjoyed playing there and he worked his way up. So it was just like, you know, that's that where so many times I was talking a bunch of other guys say they know like people like athletes are learning not to trust what their coaches say, like, and they're going to a new team. And it's like, and I know they said this. And I was like, I know that probably might not happen. Like, it's like, <laughs> like, we're just like, it's becoming like a, 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 a habit and a cultural thing to not trust what your coaches like. It's just like, you're taking everything with a grain of salt because coaches are just fluffing things up. And um, it's anyways. Yeah. I, I thought that was well said there. I'm going to, I'm going to take it a step further too, because I think it goes both ways. And this is, I'm now I'm going to speak to to the kids and I'm going to speak to to the parents out there who are figuring out what they want to do, what team they want to play on. Maybe you're an older kid, a junior team, college, maybe you're looking for an advisor or whatever. Choose the people who are honest in their recruitment of you and not the people who are telling you what you want to hear and that you're so good. I was literally just having a, a, a conversation with a coach in the BCHL today and, and he was talking about 
this exact subject. He's like, there's mm-hmm. so many people that just want me to tell them they're going to play on the first line and play power play. And I'm, he's like, I'm not doing that. And yeah. it's one of the best franchises in the BCHL. And it's that way for a reason. And, mm-hmm. and I think, you know, when I was at Cornell and we were recruiting, we were very honest in the process. We never promise anything other than like a roster spot. Like yeah. once you get here, you have to earn your spot in the lineup. You have to earn your mm-hmm. spot on the top two lines, top two D, you know, starting goalie, whatever it may be. And and we did that. And a big reason why we did that is because we attracted kids that wanted to work. Like if we just told everybody that they were going to be first line players, those kids are probably coming because they've been told how good they are the rest. And then at some point they're not going to be a first line player. So they're going to be unhappy and upset and, you know, want to leave or not want to put in the work, you know? And, and so like, for the kids and the parents, as you're choosing the teams that you want to play for, and this is even at the youngest of levels too, like you want a coach that's just going to be honest. Like, honestly, I would not, want to play for like don't play for people that are just blowing smoke (laughs) in their recruitment process like don't those are the worst people to go to because if they're telling you that they're telling everybody else that too so they're lying to half of the people on their team (laughs) you know so um i don't know it's just like i think it goes both ways and and just honesty is a um uh, to be frank it's it's a little bit of a dying thing in in our society right now um and and i think we need more of it and and i think the people who are honest with you are the people that you want to surround yourself with and and so just advice to anybody out there like yeah choose choose the people who are upfront communicate clearly and and honestly and and then you know where you stand and and i think every high level player wants that from a coach i think every coach wants that from a player and it just it's it's such a huge piece of of this whole relationship thing that we're talking about yeah and and to throw in one i gotta throw in a big pill here like a big concept the honesty with others but honesty with yourself so whether you're a coach and to be honest with yourself because like oh yeah i'm such a good coach i are do you like, like, are you, are you like, cause you'll, people can trick yourself or an athlete. Oh yeah. I'm doing this really well. Are you like, we all have our own biases and, and with that ties it right back to self-awareness, how self-aware are you? And like how, getting feedback from others to help you stay accountable and be honest um, with yourself first and foremost is that how you can be honest with others. So that's a huge one for coaches, but everybody to the, when they're thinking about their self-awareness and, and honesty. So I want to throw that on top of it. And, and just to get back to the, the coaching thing, and you guys talk about players are starting to go where the, the coaches are, are honest and stuff like that. From a selfish standpoint, coaches, the more feedback you give to players, the better your team is going to perform. <laughs> so like if we're talking about, you know, the guy who's going to be healthy scratched by you going to him the day before when you know he's not playing or the morning of and saying, hey, Jeff, this is why you're not in the lineup. You're playing like a you you never have stick pressure on the puck so you're not turning on any pucks over you're not stopping at the net you need to work on these things so if you do them you're going to give yourself a chance to be in the lineup guess what i'm going to be working on every week every day the next week in practice those things you told me so now i'm going to go into the game and i'm going to do them which is going to make every shift i'm out there a better shift which is going to make team play better which is going to wind up more wins over the course of the year so from a selfish standpoint coaches you taking that five minutes to have that maybe awkward conversation you probably just got yourself more wins because you're going to be doing that with every guy on the team now your team's better. Now you win more. If you're a professional coach, if juniors and above or, or midgets, if you're getting paid like those guys in Chicago get paid crazy money in Pittsburgh or whatever, um, then you're, you're going to make more money because you're winning more. So like selfishly, you can do it from that standpoint if that's what motivates you. Yeah, no, exactly. It works. 
right? But it's not, it's, it, and it's the psychology, it's understanding principles and then, you know, holding yourself accountable to do it. Cause sometimes it's hard for a coach. Like I remember my first year coaching as a head coach and it's like, what well, kind of, I, I didn't want to hurt their feelings. Right. <laughs> and it's just like, I want to be a nice guy. And like, I want to, you want to kind of please people in a sense, but you have to overcome that. And it's not what's best for them. It's not what's best for you. It's not what's best for the team. So yeah, that was well said. I mean, I, I well re- said, Jeffrey. Recently, I had a goalie text to me who's who's a really good goalie, but he was he's one of my guys, and he's saying, you know, like, yeah, I just I think I'm too good for this level right now, and I just don't want to be here again next year, blah blah. And I go, you're too good. You don't think you should be there? I go, do you save every single shot, every single practice? <laughs> and he goes, no. And I go, until you do that, and, and the same thing in games, you're not too good for this level. Yeah. So until you do that you have mm-hmm. things to work on, you know? Yeah. So it's that self-reflection piece you were talking about. Again, look yeah. in the mirror. Like and, no and, one's as and, good as you think they are. And people yeah. do their research. If you're too good for that level, you wouldn't <laughs> be at that level. Exactly. <laughs> but, but I was honest with him and he goes, yeah, yeah. you know what? You're right. You're right. That's yeah. my new goal. Don't get scored on in practice ever again. And I was like, yeah. okay, that's something to work toward. Instead of you kind of blowing smoke up your own ass, yeah. look in the mirror and there are some things we can work on. Let's go. Yeah. And that's one of the unique things. And I love that example. And one of the unique things we do, because like we're sports psychology and we, you know, consultants, mental performance coaches, we are not therapists or clinical psychologists that are here to listen to your sob story. Not like I'm a coach in a way, like we coach people, not that sounds like bullshit. Like, like we call people all the time. Like I, one of the funny things I do sometimes too, is I play like, Oh, your coach did this and this. I'm like, this is probably what he meant. To, this is probably what he would mean. This is like, they're like, oh, that kind of makes sense because the coaches can't communicate it or don't communicate it. So I'm like kind of playing, like putting the puzzle together. So then they better understand because they won't go to the coach or I try to get them to, but or the coach, if, even if they do, won't give them the truth. So, but it's like my, like we coach people, give honest feedback as a coach and, and in whatever role you're in, um, that's how people grow, right? Give support and challenge. And sometimes athletes need challenge and you got to hold them accountable and be honest with them. That's good for them. It's good for you because it builds more trust with them, right? So that's, uh, you know, I'm glad you brought that one up. For sure. Well, Cassie, this this has been awesome. Uh, really, really happy we got to get the chance to talk to you here on the podcast. I think uh, a lot of people are going to get a lot out of this. But before we, uh, we let you go, why don't you tell our listeners uh, where they can find you? You know, just uh, your website. Some I know you got some exciting things coming up here uh, in the near future. So where uh, where can our listeners find you? Yeah, our uh, business name is ConsistentElitePerformance.com. So most of the links are on there. We're on our most of the social platforms as well. And we've got a coaching program right now, Psychology of Coaching Mastermind that starts soon. We have a 90-day mental toughness program that's, you know, we're just updating and adding to the website. So we have different, you know, uh, launches of that. And we have all obviously other programs, but uh, yeah, they can find out more there and they can reach out if they have any questions. We'd be happy to, uh, to work with anybody that's interested. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for taking the time here today. We really appreciate it. And I'm uh, sure we will touch base again at some point soon. Yeah. Well, thanks so much.